This morning I titled this sermon, Dealing with Death. When we face the unknown future, we put our faith in Christ Jesus to seek hope in our future, in life, and in death. This morning we're going to look at how Abraham dealt with death, and we're going to see that we have an opportunity to deal with it in a very similar fashion. And then I'll leave the decision up to you on how you're going to deal with that. Okay? So that's where we're doing this morning. Genesis chapter 22, verse 20 through 24 says, Soon after this, Abraham heard that Melchiah, his brother Nahor's wife, had borne Nahor eight sons. The oldest was named Uz, and the, last, and the next oldest was, of course, Buzz, followed by Nemuel, the, the ancestor of the Amorites, or Amor, I don't know which one it is, uh, then Kesed, and then Hosea, and Pildish, and Jildipha, and Bethuel, Bethuel, that's what it is, Bethuel, and he became the father of Rebekah, okay, Rebekah's going to come up in next, in, the, in chapter 24, that's going to be Isaac's wife. In addition to these eight sons from Melchiah, Nahor had four other children from his concubine, Remua. Their names were uh, Teba, Gaham, Tash, Tehash, and Meka. I did so much better than that last night when I, I guess I'm going to have to read them out loud. We see this little mention of there's several names in there, right? We got, we got a concubine, we got a wife, we got a husband, we have 12 kids in there, and then out of that we have one granddaughter, right? And her name was Rebecca. God has a plan. God has a plan. He's granted it's not a big plan at first because what has God promised Abraham? I promise you descendants as far as, or as many as the stars in the sky as the sand and the seashore. That's quite a few. Isaac was just born not too long ago. He doesn't have a wife. And here we have Isaac and Rebekah, uh, the foreshadowing of the plan. So it starts then with Jacob and his two wives after Isaac and Rebekah. And, they're, and his, they're two concubines as well. Then we get 12 kids out of that, and that's where we get the children of Israel, okay? So we're starting to get to the, the tribe of Israel. Then to Egypt, they go, and they come out of that, a mighty nation will form. They'll turn back to God after that, and they'll remember God has foreshadowed all this prophecy back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13. In these little verses at the end of chapter 22, we see the hope of the covenant well up in Rebekah, as if it will soon pass from Sarah. Sarah has been that symbol of the covenant between Abraham and God for many years. We see this represented in chapter 18, and God makes sure that Sarah is in earshot when he declares that Abraham will have a descendant through Sarah. And it says that the covenant is coming through Sarah. We see that God's hand of protection on Sarah in chapter 20 with King Abimelech when he comes, takes her by force, and tries to make 
her, his wife. In chapter 23, we see Sarah pass on, and that's what we're going to read here soon. And then we'll see God's plan continue on in chapter 24 with Rebekah. Through these passages, we see God pour out his grace on Abraham and his family. Sarah was the symbol of that grace. Okay, Every time, you, we can easily identify that gift of grace because of how loose Abraham is with his wife. And I'm not saying that he goes and lets her sleep around, but he's willing to give her up very quickly, it seems, um, out of fear many times. And so as they go through, we will, we tend to, we are just, it's just like we are with the grace with God. When we see an opportunity to be, it to be our advantage, we're quick to give up that grace for something a little bit better. We use it when it's convenient for us. However, we feel we can gain something out of it, we're quick to drop it. Maybe it's some quick pleasure. Maybe it's dropping a discipline. Maybe it's breaking a relationship because it's more convenient for us. We are, we are always quick to receive grace, yet we are very slow to truly hand it out to others. It's very difficult sometimes, unless love is the foremost and the forefront of your relationship it is hard to hand out relationship because that means we have to give a little bit of ourselves. If this is the case, ask yourself, who is the biggest motivation for, your, for living your life? Who is the biggest motivation for living your life? Is it to satisfy your needs, to please yourself? Or is it God satisfying him and pleasing him? If it is God, remember this that we studied a few weeks ago in 1 John 2.6. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Remember we put some syncopation to that? Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. It's an easy way to remember that verse. So who is that motivation? If it is the Lord, it is easy to love. It is easy to give grace. And I'm not going to say it's like super easy, but it's easier. You can see that you're supposed to give grace. Maybe that's a good way to put it. I know I'm supposed to give grace in this situation. However, my human self is welling up and I want to give anger. <laughs> uh, that is not always the best case. And it's never the best case when it comes to the Lord because grace will win every time who has influence over you who is shaping your life and how are they is that shaping your life so is it somebody that follows the lord do you have friends that follow the lord is that something that's important to you is your family following the lord how is that shaping your life or are they shaping it to look a lot like a bar or are they shaping it look a lot like a fill-in-the-blank? What's taking over that looks, a lot, that looks really good, but not necessarily the right influence, right? You think of 
Um, one of the things that could be patriotism, that could look really similar, but it's different. You could look at, um, you could probably try to throw anarchy, anarchy in there um, as a way. We've got to break it down to build it back up. Well, isn't that Christ's job? Isn't Christ's job to break us down and not um, our human friends and our human relatives and, and acquaintances? It's not. Only Christ can break us down properly to, break, to build us back up. And we need to submit to his authority to do that. Abraham kept defining and reassigning relationships in his life. What do I mean by that? He kept defining like his relationship with Lot. Is this a good relationship? Is it going to, toward the Lord? It's starting to get some angst in there. We need to separate and go our different ways. This happened to be more about their possessions, but it may have had something to do with their relationship as well. You see this with King um, Melchizedek and the king of Sodom. I think it's just Sodom. He chooses to receive the blessing from Melchizedek, but he doesn't from the king of Sodom. He separates himself. So he has kept good. He has removed the bad. And we should do the same. This is things that we need to influence in our lives. To What can we weed out that we need to pull? And what are some of the things that we need to keep in? When faced with an opportunity to, to, wait, to walk by faith, ask yourself, where is fear welling up in you? Where is fear welling up in you? Maybe it's different stages of your life. God's calling you to a different thing. Maybe it's um, you're reaching the end of life and you're reaching the unknown of death. What, what does that look like? Maybe it's um, I got to go into work tomorrow and I'm not sure how my boss is going to receive me or I'm not going to sure how I'm going to receive my employee. How am I going to deal with this? So first we need to identify that fear. Is it a rational fear or is it irrational? Is it something that you have some legitimacy that you need to have some concerns about? Or is it something that you're building up a little bit bigger than what it needs to be and you're just scared to talk about the situation? So you need to identify the fear. Next, we need to seek to use the truth to debunk the lies. Okay? If it's irrational, we seek the truth to bring it back to more of a rational fear to think through it. If it's rational, we use the facts to walk through the process of restoration. Right? And we rely on faith in God to face the rest of the unknown. Okay, I'm going to walk into this, and I'm not really sure how this situation is going to go, but I'm going to trust God that he knows and I'm going to be able to walk with him. Because when we face the unknown future, we put our faith in Christ Jesus to seek hope in our future, in life, and in death. The first one is life. The first one we see is Rebecca. We see life. We see uh, the next phase, the, the plan go. And this really helps me appreciate how God views things. He views things not necessarily as his plan through Abraham, but through Abraham's family, right? 
And so when I look at my responsibility as a father, one, I have to have, hold my integrity, but I also need to teach that integrity to my boys and girls, my family, because if I don't, um, there's, there could be eternal consequences for the people that they come into contact with, and maybe not just my grandkids, but my great-grandkids and my great-grandkids and things of that nature. We need to hold firm to the truth. Sometimes that's easier to do in other times of life than others. And I think this is one of those hard times in Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Uh, there's 20 verses there. And then we'll come back and discuss it. There are some names in here too that I may botch as well, but bear with me. When Sarah, got that one, was 127 years old, she died at Kareth Arba, now called Hebron, in the land of Canaan. There Abraham mourned and wept for her. Then, leaving her body, he said to the Hittite elders, Here I am, a stranger, a foreigner among you. Please sell me a piece of land so I can give my wife a proper burial. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Listen, my lord, you are an honored prince among us. Choose the finest of our tombs and bury her there. No one here will refuse to help you in this way. Abraham bowed low before the Hittites, showing them honors what he's doing, and said, Since you are willing to help me in this way, be so kind as to ask Ephron, son of Zohar, to, tell, to let me buy his cave at Machpelah back, uh, down at the end of his field. I will pay the full price in the presence of witnesses, so I will have a permanent burial place for my family. Ephron was sitting there among the others, and he answered Abraham as the others listened, speaking publicly before all the Hittite elders of the town. No, my lord, he said to Abraham, please listen to me. I will give you the field and the cave here on the presence of my people. I give it to you. Go and bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed low before the citizens of the land, and he replied to Ephron as everyone listened. No, listen to me. I will buy it from you. Let me pay the full price for the field so I can bury my dead there. There's symbolism there, right? This is God's promised land. He is setting roots down. This is why this is occurring, by the way. Ephron answered Abraham, My Lord, please listen to me. The land is worth 400 pieces of silver, but what is that between friends? Go ahead and bury your dead. So Abraham agreed to Ephron's price and paid the amount he had suggested, 400 pieces of silver, weighed according to the market standard. The Hittite elders witnessed the transaction. So Abraham bought the plot of land belonging to Ephron at Machpelah near Mamre. This included the field itself, the cave that was in it, and all the surrounding trees. It was transferred to Abraham as his permanent possession in the presence of Hittite elders at the city gate. Then Abraham buried his wife, Sarah, there in Canaan, in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre called Hebron. So the field and the cave were transferred from the Hittites to Abraham to use as a permanent burial place. This is the word of the Lord. Do you know where that is today? 
Do you know that there's 400, about 400 Jewish families that are living there now and there's a bunch of Arabs there that are not happy about that? They're in the Gaza Strip and they are remembering that this is the place that was promised to our ancestors, Abraham. It makes a little bit more understandable the fight for the Gaza Strip now. It all comes back to Father Abraham. Finally, we're going to be talking about leaving a legacy. Now let's look at the age of Sarah. She was 127 years old. She got to have fellowship with her son for 37 years. It's pretty neat if you look at that. In 127, you have 10 twelves and 7. Okay, that's how the Jewish people would break that up. You would go 10 twelves and 7. So 12 would be the perfect order set apart for the Lord. Um, you see this in the 12 tribes of Israel. You see 12 tribes listed in Rebekah's disciples. Um, Abraham's older brother. You see this in um, Isaac, or excuse me, in Jacob. He has 12 sons. Okay? So we have a perfect order. God's numbers 10 is complete cycle uh, for the good in this case. 10 can also be a cycle for evil as well, but this is a case is a cycle for good. There's 10 trials that Abraham Faces. I believe this is the last one, but I'm not 100% sure. I didn't go back and look. I, didn't, I just saw that yesterday when I was reading through. So we have 10 sets of 12 that's set apart for God's covenant. Okay? And 7 is the sanctified perfect in God because of God. Okay? And that's why we call 7 the perfect number because it's set apart for God. It's sanctified for God. And in that sanctification process... It becomes perfect. And then we see the, the price of the land is 400 silver, silver pieces. Four is a representative of land because you see the north, south, east, and west. And ten, ten tens, we have the complete package. This is the promised land. Okay, The covenant is placed in the promised land. When I saw that, I was like, couldn't believe it. Um, I, and I kind of came up with that one all by myself, too. Um, here we are reminded that our physical bodies have a time limit, don't they? Sarah, she passes away. And we see Abraham grieve. He takes time to grieve, but he also takes time to go prepare for the burial. And this is interesting because in front of the Hittites, he's very formal. He is very, you would say, maybe a, a pride there. And they want to give him um, the land, but he wants to purchase it. It's, it's a promise from the Lord, and, and something that's worth anything is worth buying. And he purchases that land. But we still have the process of grief. It's just barely mentioned here. But grief can be all-consuming. And I think you see that Abraham has a close relationship with God. I think the closer the relationship you have with God, it, one, you're, you don't mind grieving in public. And two, um, 
you can walk through that process of grief. Grief, I think the closer the person is, the more important it is to walk through the process. So here are five stages of grief that are important for you to recognize as you walk through this process. The first is denial. No, this can't be. This isn't happening. No, they'll get up. They're, they're just taking a break. They'll be right back in the game. Or it's, where is so-and-so? Where's, where's Laverne? Oh, we're going over to my grandpa's house. Oh, yeah, grandpa's not there anymore. And so you walk through that process. Um, you're going to walk in the shed, and he's going to be right there right where he was. No, there's, that's not what it is. And the closer the person is to you, the closer that pain can be. You wake up in the morning, you turn over, and they're not there anymore. And you expected them to be there when you woke up. That's hard. That denial. For me, and this is just me, there's a lot of people that get stuck there. I, I push past denial really quick to anger. I get to anger and I'm like, well, what? You know, it just changes. For me, uh, I can't I'm trying to remember the last time I was grieving for something and I walked through this process and I was like, it's, it's right there. I can recognize it. And I was really depressed. I got stuck on depression. I don't get depressed very often at all. And, uh, <laughs> but I just sat there and I'm like, I am working through the process of grief. And I, it wasn't somebody super close to me, but it was close enough. So you walk from denial, then anger. You get angry at situation, get angry at people. You get angry because there's change coming in your life. There's a lot of that things. And then you start to bargain. It's like, well, why didn't you take me? Or why didn't you take us together? Or why didn't you? Um, or I could have done this. I wish I would have said this. I wish that these words would have been said. Why did you take them before we had this conversation, God? And that's bargaining. That's walking through that. And then you just are stuck with the problem that they're not coming back. And that's depression. And you can't get out of that easy. And sometimes you're not supposed to get out of that easy, folks. It is okay to be depressed for a time. That is part of the grieving process. That's part of how we walk through this process. And then we gradually come to acceptance. I remember the first time I studied this, um, Pastor Dave introduced this to me, these, these five steps. And I remember it was when my grandpa Laverne House passed away. I was walking through, but I couldn't, I wasn't walking through the steps of, of grieving. And I thought that was kind of strange because I was really close to my grandpa and I was kind of, this is different. But a year prior to that, his death, he had a massive heart attack or stroke. And I can't remember which one it is. Um, but I thought he was, we were going to lose him then. And that's when I went through the grieving process. And so when it came to time for my grandpa to pass away, yeah, I cried a little bit, but it wasn't, wasn't like it was a year before. I'm never going to see him again. I'm never going to, I went through all those emotions. So when it came to the time, for me, it was more relief because 
I lost, he had, was dealing with Parkinson's and things, so the grandpa I knew I had lost almost a year before. And he had hung on for his wife. And he finally was given permission to let go, and he, he passed on. But it was about, I was pretty close to, to Easter. It was about a month later. I'm, I lost one of my coworkers, and man, the, the waterworks started coming. I, I was crying over her. I, I couldn't believe. Um, and I was like, well, I didn't grieve for my grandpa like I did now. Well, one thing I learned that I was grieving for my grandpa and my coworker. One of the reasons why I didn't grieve for my grandpa is because I knew he was going to heaven. I knew his faith was in Christ Jesus. Now, we're going to talk about that a little bit more, why it's important to grieve and why funerals are important rather than just going straight to a celebration of life. It's, I'm going to get on a soapbox a little bit later about that. But the thing about my coworker was she died suddenly, unexpectedly, in a, in a uh, classic uh, airplane crash. She died instantly, and we had just talked about uh, going to church and that she needed Jesus in her life. And obviously, she didn't, unless she went down on the plane and she gave her life over to the Lord, she was going to have a rude awakening when she came in the presence of the Lord. So in the presence of grief, Abraham puts a major decision in his life. He puts down roots. This is where I'm going to stay. This is where I'm going to stay with Sarah. Can you see the relationship, how it's mended back together and how it's come back from a love that was there when they walked into Egypt and how it kind of turned away maybe a little bit when Hagar came into that process and now how they're right back to that same kind of love. God can restore broken relationships and he wants to stay where the promise, he recognizes Sarah as that covenantal promise that she represents that and he's going to stay in the land that he was promised. He chooses to buy a parcel of land to call his own to bury Sarah. And by laying Sarah down to rest, he is declaring that this is the promised land. This is the place where God's covenant will rest. This is the land the Lord has chosen for his people. And Abraham is creating a place for his family. Wow. The two promises, the two biggest promises that he was promised to, God promised to Abraham, was a big family and the land that you're in. And both of those are represented right here in this passage. It was a really neat thing to see. Through this process, we see mentioned that Abraham grieved Sarah's death. Why do we grieve death? Why? Think about this. Some of the best people that I know that grieve the best, or most appropriately, are Christians. Jewish people grieve uh, very well. In Jesus' time, they had professional grievers. You wanted to show your grief to others, you brought in a group of ladies that would grieve with you, that would weep and wail, and they would also help prepare for the different things, right? 
Why do we grieve? After all, isn't it a reminder that we are broken sinners? Isn't that what death is all about? Yes, but we know that in dealing with our mortality, we are also forced to deal with our morality. Where am I going to go when I die? Have you asked that question? Because deep down, that is a morality question just as much as it is a mortality question, isn't it? Because if you face the Lord Jesus Christ, have you surrendered him your sins, your burdens? Or have you rebelled against him and said, I can do this. I can get to heaven by my good works. He'll let me in by my good works. You're fooling yourself. It's not how it works. And as a Christian, we know we are hopeless unless we have surrendered to Jesus Christ. Therefore, funerals are important because they help us see this. Okay? Funerals allow us to deal with our mortality so we will face our morality. That is important. Do not rob your family members of that by going straight to a celebration of life. Okay? Yes, you know they're going to heaven. Praise God. Let the preacher say. But also let him know that he was a broken man, that he was, she was a broken woman, and that she needed Jesus Christ to get where she needed to go. And that's heaven, right? Does that make sense to you? That's my soapbox. I'll step back off now. You may agree or disagree with me, but I, I find value in, in that funeral process. So I always say, well, why do you do funerals over time? I want to know the tradition why. That, that's what the Lord's laid on my heart of why to do that. Ecclesiaster, Ecclesiastes, oh man, it's like the son of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, 2 through 4, says, Better to spend your life at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. There's the verse right there. Sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool only thinks about having a good time. Or when can I get drunk next? Be a kind of a way to say that. It is important to prepare for death, and we can face death by looking at these three houses. The first one, I'll just give them to you right away. Physical house, your emotional house, and your spiritual house. And none of them are Shane house. First one is your physical house. Are you willing? Are you ready? Those are in your bulletins. That's why I gave you all those there. Your physical house, your emotional house, and your spiritual house. Your physical house, is it in order financially? Do you have a will? And not a Will Mullins. Yes, I got them all today. That's right. Do you have a will? It's about $200. $150. If you know a lawyer, if you worked with a lawyer, they'll draw one up. A simple will of where your assets should go and where your things should go. That is important. Okay, that saves a lot of heartache on the backside. That's something I, I honestly need to do. I need to have a will put together yet. 
and not a wheelhouse. Have you, do you have funeral arrangements? Do you have a plot? Do you have those things? Do you know how things are going to work out? Are you going to get cremated? Do your family know your wishes on that? All those things. I personally don't believe, and I can back it up, I think through scripture, I don't, if you get cremated, you're still going to heaven, okay? A lot of people have asked me that here lately. I don't have a problem with cremation at all, okay? It, to be dead in the body is to be present with the Lord. Our, our spiritual body is not, is not the same as our uh, physical body, okay? Ash to ash is dust to dust, okay? It, it doesn't matter. You could, honestly, you could make a bigger argument that for the caskets that we have today, that they don't allow you to go back into the ground more than you can um, with cremation because they are built in a cast, cast iron steel vault and they don't let you go back into the ground until we're talking probably hundreds and thousands of years or rather than uh, minutes with cremation. <laughs> um, is your financial house in order or are you leaving a burden for your kids? Do they know your records? Do they know where to get find things and how to look at those things? Those are some things that we don't want to deal with but are important to deal with. My parents let me know. It is important to have your financial house in order. Please have your financial house in order. You know how much inheritance will split a family? <laughs> most of you do because most of you have dealt with that. Right? It is difficult on a family relationships when you haven't defined the what's and the why's <coughs> of where your finances are going. Make sure you know that. Second is your emotional house in order. Is your emotional house in order? Have you said what needs to be said? Don't leave it. Don't have one of those. I haven't spoken to my son in 20 years. Don't be that guy. Jesus does not teach that. He does not teach that. He says to get right, get that relationship right. And a lot of times that means you got to eat crow for that relationship to be right, right? It's not easy. Be a pastor. You, you need to eat some crow, you need some lessons, just be a pastor. You eat a lot of crow. I've eaten a lot of crow in the last 20 years. You sit there and take it. They don't know the other side of the story. They don't know the other half. It doesn't matter. God's going to defend me. God knows. Uh, sometimes I'm in the wrong too. Believe it or not, pastor's sin, right? I, I've, there's been plenty of times I've screwed up. And you learn from this, don't you? Make sure you've said what needs to be said. Mend relationships before it's too late. Seek forgiveness even when it's not given back. Still seek it. Pass on your blessing. Pass on your blessing. You see this, a great story is when Jacob steals Esau's blessing, right? Um, it wasn't his to have, but God knew it was going to happen that way. Blessings are important to pass those on to your kids, to your grandkids. And that even if it's just a 
tell them how proud you are of them and how much you see where they, they're going in life. It's important. We see this often in the Old Testament, especially in, in Genesis. We see this very often. We see this with Joseph. We see this with Jacob. We see this when he turns to Israel. We see this with Isaac in the next three stories or so we're going to go through. This is something that we need to consider doing as well. Words have power and they have authority when they are in Christ Jesus. Finally, is your spiritual house in order? Is your spiritual house in order? Where are you going to go when you die? Do you know? Well, I know I'm going to heaven. A lot of times people answer that, well, I like to think I'm going to heaven. Are those two different answers? Absolutely. I like to think I'm going to heaven. Well, I can tell you how you can know to go to heaven. You'll hear it in just a little bit here. One thing we do know, we, are, we know we're broken, don't we? We've been mistreated, we've been abused, and through that abuse and things, some of those circumstances we've sinned, sometimes we come up with sin all by ourselves, but we know that we're sinners. And did you know that sin keeps us separated from God? That's why we do communion. Um, we do it once a month here, but that's why it's to remember that we need to get back to the Lord and work through that blessing. There is hope that comes from mourning death. There is hope that comes from mourning sin. Matthew 5, 3 through 4 says, God blesses those who are poor in spirit and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That's the first realization that we need to come to. That we have a need for God. The second is similar. Verse 4, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Okay? That is not necessarily mourning for death, even though you do mourn death. First you mourn sin. Then you mourn death. Okay? First you mourn sin. Then you mourn death. What I mean by that is, if you understand that you are a sinner in need of God's grace, you search for that and you ask God to forgive you of those sins and you surrender your life and go to him in that. Then you can mourn death. Well, you can mourn your own death in the first when you recognize that your sins, you have freedom from that. Now you look to other people. If they don't have Jesus in their life, they're going to die apart from him. Do you have a heart for the lost? Do you have a heart for the broken? Are you willing to ask them the question I started this section with? Where are you going to go when you die? And you what? You just keep asking questions. You keep asking questions. Why do you think that? How'd you come to that conclusion? What's that mean for me? Do you want to know what I think when it comes to that? And oftentimes if they've walked through, well, I've been talking for a long time. Yeah, I'll listen to them. So you can go right into your 20-second testimony right there, right? I used to be a lot like that. I used to be uncertain. I'm not sure where I was going in life and in death. And then Jesus happened. He gave me a hope and a future and a place to go. 
Do you want a story like that? Yeah, I, I think I do. Then what steps are next? The Romans Road is good there. The three circles is good there. Um, all are good. Things we need to study. When we seek Jesus for our salvation, when we mourn our sin and how it separates us from God, then we depend on Jesus and not our own strength, and there we well up hope, right? I am a sucker for hope. You give me a movie of hope in it, man, I tell you what, um, I love it. One of the best that I've seen, I think I, think I watched that movie and steers, tears just started streaming down my face. It's got some language in it. It's got some stuff in it, but... Um, Oh, shoot. Uh, August Rush. You ever want to watch a movie full of hope? This kid's getting screamed at, and it happens to be Robin Williams. It's like, they're dead. Your parents are dead. There's no way they're going to get back together. You're, you're done. And he's like, but I got to go to the park to see if my, I'm, I'm drawing my parents. And he's, he never gives up. I love that. I'm like, yes. And that's like Jesus you know, Satan is over there saying, you're no good. You're, there's nothing left of you. You can't do this. Why don't you just give up? And I'm like, but Jesus, I'm not surrendered. You're right. I am broken. I am worthless. I'm a sinner. I need a God's grace, but I got it. Jesus Christ is my grace. He is my grace. This is what God has done. But God, in his, so rich in mercy and loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. It is only by God's grace. Praise God. It is not our own strength, but because Jesus had the power over sin and death because God granted him because he was perfect. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you cannot take credit for this. Because it is a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, in a.k.a. works. So none of us can boast about it. It is a gift given, and then we well up and want to do good works. Romans 5.10 says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. We were God's enemies and he still died for us. You ever fought in a war that you died for your enemy? Jesus did. And he saved us. He opened the door so we could come back to him. And since that has happened, we can celebrate life in Christ Jesus. A lot of people will say, well, I like to go. I like to think that I, I'd make it to heaven. And they jump straight to the end of Romans 8. And they look, don't look at the beginning of Romans 8. But when we walk through the process like we've just had through these verses, and we recognize that we're broken and that we need Christ when we have Christ, therefore, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Okay? While we are still alive... I believe nothing can separate us from God's love. When we walk in Christ, nothing can separate us from Christ's love for eternity. Okay? 
There's, that's very important. Do we all have Christ's love, believers and non-believers? Absolutely. Otherwise, Satan would come in and wipe out anyone that God's hand of protection isn't on. God protects us all. This is an age of grace. When we walk in God's grace, we are all protected. As soon as God lifts that hand, um, we're not going to only face um, Satan, I guess. We're going to face God's wrath. And that's, that's even more terrifying to me than uh, Satan. Because God's wrath is coming because we chose to be in rebellion against him. We've got to choose to surrender. So neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor our fears today, nor our worries about tomorrow, nor not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see that title there at the end? That's really, really important. Our Messiah Jesus, our Savior Jesus. That's what Christ means, okay? Our Lord. I've surrendered to him. Now he is my Lord. Swear felty that we've talked about the last few weeks to him. He is my Lord. Now I walk with him. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8 says, For we live by believing faith and not seeing how many people have seen Jesus Christ in the flesh? I have not. I was just fixing my hair, as I like to say to the kids. Yes, we are fully confident, and we will, would believe rather, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. The only thing that's holding us back from Jesus Christ is our physical bodies, right? That doesn't mean commit suicide, because that's wrong. God always, always, always chooses life. Does he not? Always. Every time Jesus walks into a funeral, what happens? Funeral ends. <laughs> Every time. I can think of three, right? Jesus raises a little boy from the, from the dead. Uh, he raises a little girl from the dead, I remember now. Raises Lazarus from the dead, and he raises himself from the dead. There's four, Right? Every time, she's just sleeping. <laughs> they laugh at Jesus. Not just sleeping. Why did he say that? He said that because he didn't want to have the whole ruckus going on that's going to go on after. We have a ruckus. Jesus Christ is our ruckus, isn't he? He stirs up everything in my life. He changes it, transforms it, and he is my legacy. He is your legacy. Be proud of that legacy. Share that with your friends in desperation because if you don't, they're going to hell and their legacy will be no more. It is so important. When we face the unknown future, we put our faith in Jesus Christ to, to seek hope in our future, in life, and in death. <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming alongside us. We thank you that you have given us your son, that your son has defeated the power of sin and death, and that we have hope in a future in Jesus Christ. Lord, we surrender our hearts to you. Before we come to you, we ask for forgiveness. Before we take communion, Lord, we ask for forgiveness to make our heart right with you. 
Lord, we surrender um, the misgivings. Lord, we surrender the, our hopes and our joys. Lord, don't let them become more important than you because you are our hope and our future. Guide and direct us this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.